Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Following Christ does not look like complicity with a system that butters our breads and fills our coffers while we stand on the back of those created in the image of God. Christianity is not about calling others them, somehow unlike us, not human. When we were in the dungeon, our guide pointed to the chapel above and he said this, heaven above, hell below. But I would argue this morning that heaven was not above, because that is not what heaven does. Heaven leaves heaven. Heaven leaves its place and space of comfort and songs and purity and plenty, and heaven comes down. That was an intriguing thought from our main guest today, psychologist Diane Langberg. Thanks again for spending time with us. I'm Paul Perot, and this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Each week on Q Ideas, we seek to provoke conversations about important topics, including, and maybe especially ones, that are often ignored or pushed aside because, frankly, they're hard conversations. But the reality is these are topics that are affecting people deeply. And Gabe, today's topic is one of those hard ones. Really wanting to focus on a subject that most of us are dealing with on a daily, sometimes weekly, monthly basis. The idea of trauma and the kind of traumas we all experience. And and we've talked about trauma at a personal level where your story perhaps has deep trauma from a childhood experience. We, we see even reports that the Southern Baptist Convention report on sexual abuse within the church that's covered up and hidden. So these very personal traumas that take place in institutions. And then you deal with that trauma again when you realize that's been going on behind the scenes and, and nobody told me? Who can I trust, right? Yeah, that trust issue. There is a huge gap there. That's a hard one. And and you mentioned the recent Guidepost report on abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, it wasn't that long ago during 2019, 2020 with the Me Too moment. Names like Harvey Weinstein and Larry Nassar flooded the news headlines. People who took advantage of those under them. Then the heightened realization that there were similar things happening within some churches. Gabe, you and the Q team have addressed this on several occasions. In fact, one person and you've talked with a few years ago, was an abuse survivor herself, Rachel Den Hollander. Now, I want to play a portion of a conversation you had with her about how the church can respond well to abuse and the trauma it causes. And back to the point you were making about trust. Unfortunately, there has been a trust problem in the church's response to abuse. A lot of times, in fact, most times, ministries mishandle claims of abuse. Actually, there was a study done about five years ago, where sexual assault victims were asked, who did you think would be the most helpful when you were abused? And churches and pastors were number one and two in that study. Then the victims were asked the follow-up question, who actually was the most helpful when you were abused? And when they asked that question, Christian organizations, churches ranked dead last behind the option of other. So we do have a chronic problem in evangelicalism with being able to respond well to abuse. And there are a lot of reasons for that. 
But a primary one is, A, it's, it really boils down to our theology, our theology of authority, oftentimes our theology of counseling, uh, mishandling doctrines like the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture is something we all subscribe to. But a lot of times in conservative churches and organizations in particular, what that means is we don't get training from somebody who's actually an expert in the field, both in recognizing the signs of abuse, understanding abusive dynamics, knowing what trauma looks like, knowing what evidence looks like. And so we're not equipped to handle those things. And ultimately, we're not equipped because of a theological hangup. And that's part of why it's so difficult to turn the tide in Christian organizations is because when you start talking about these issues, the immediate response is, oh, these people are bitter and angry. They want to destroy the church, um, you know, and, and they're attacking us for our theology. And it actually makes ministries batten down the hatches harder instead of getting the help they need. Yeah. We also absolutely have dynamics of being afraid of liability rather than trusting that God is going to do with our ministry exactly what he's intended for it to do. And understanding that as Christians, we are called to bring light into the darkness. But again, that's a theological concept. We, we say it, but we don't act like it. Mm. And so we have, it's really our theology. We need to understand our theology well, and then we need to live it out accurately. Well, again, that was just a portion of the conversation Gabe had with former Olympian and abuse survivor Rachel Den Hollander, who has really been a leading voice in the church calling on us to address the issue of abuse in our own sphere so that we can be a light to the world. The full conversation is on the Q Media platform at qideas.org. It's called Ending Sexual Abuse. Remember, if you're not a subscriber to the Q Media platform, you can request a free trial subscription at qideas.org. Those around us continue to struggle with trauma, Gabe, and from so many sources such as physical and emotional abuse. Then you think about the very acute tragedy of a school shooting where 19 children and two teachers are murdered Mm. for no reason. And, And you all hear that and the fear that comes up for children or for parents sending their kids off to school. We're dealing with like micro traumas. We're dealing with these macro traumas. And the question is, how are we meant to process these kinds of current issues, these stories, these these new pieces of information that affect us and hurt us and and bring harm to the way that we imagined our world to be. And so we wanted to bring a talk to the forefront here that took place a decade ago. It was by Diane Langberg. And Diane is somebody that's been around the Q community for so many years. And the conversations around what does it mean to think about trauma as a place of service? How do we view trauma as an opportunity for God to intervene, for ministry to take place, for us to move forward in this? Uh, Diane really cast a vision for the idea of trauma perhaps being the greatest mission field for the 21st century. And I want you to understand why by listening to what she has to say here. Now, Diane Langberg, she's an internationally recognized psychologist and counselor with over 45 years of experience. She speaks regularly on this topic and around abuse, and she was doing it long before it was in vogue to talk about trauma, to talk about victimization, to talk about sexual abuse, especially within Christian structures. And so she was a pioneer in this space, exposing things for many, many years, and she's done the work. And so you're going to benefit from hearing somebody who's thought deeply about this long before the Me Too movement came about, long before this was in vogue to talk about. Diane Langberg was faithfully working on this problem and she's going to help you today. She's going to help you and any other victim, other others that are your friends that are walking through any type of trauma to think well about how do we walk through this and invite God into it. You 
You don't need me to tell you that it is a numbing world. The digital world and media tsunami overwhelm us, and often we cannot even take in sound bites. But today, I would ask you to marshal the forces of your minds and hearts and come with me for just a glimpse of this world that our God so loves, this world whose anguish he bears. He's asked us to look with him. He's asked us to step away from the numbing and listen to his heart and his thoughts. So come and listen with me to a small piece of the heart of our God for this fearful fallen world. Last summer, I was in Ghana speaking at a conference on violence against women and children. And while there, we were taken to visit the Cape Coast Castle. Hundreds of thousands of Africans were forced through its dungeons and its door of no return onto slave ships. It had five dungeon chambers for males. And descending into the darkness of one of those dungeons was claustrophobic. 200 men, shackled and chained together, stayed in the dungeon for about three months before they were put onto ships and sent across the Atlantic. We stood in one of those male dungeons listening in the darkness to the whole horrific story when our guide said this, do you know what's above the dungeon? We all shook our heads now. The chapel, he said. Directly above, 200 shackled men, some of them dead, others of them screaming, all of them filthy, sat God worshipers. They sang. They read the scripture. They prayed, and I suppose they took up an offering for the less fortunate. The slaves could hear the service, and the worshipers could hear the slaves some of the time because they often had somebody down there trying to keep them quiet. It took my breath away. The evil, the suffering, the humiliations, the traumas were overwhelming and the visual parable was stunning. The people in the chapel were numb to the horrific trauma beneath their feet. We have dungeons in our world today too. Tent cities in Haiti and Ivory Coast Genocides in Rwanda and Bosnia, wars around the world, and relentless systemic violence in our own inner cities. Do you know that all of these events produce traumatized human beings? One in four soldiers today is a child, and there are 200 million children living on the streets of this world. Amnesty International says that one in three females is beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused in her lifetime. You think about that statistic the next time you sit in an airport, or walk on a city street, or sit in a conference, or the pews of your church. One in three. Child sexual abuse, child marriage, female genital mutilation, physically and psychologically harm countless females around the world. Girls have acid thrown in their faces because they went to school and they are stoned to death because they managed to get themselves raped. Eastern Congo is the rape capital of the world. A recent UN human rights panel says that hundreds of thousands have been raped during the conflict there and 13% of them are younger than the age of 10. Sex trafficking, which is of course the slavery of our day, 
a brutal and large-scale destructive force of girls and women. And it is not just over there. It is here in our streets and our cities. It is in this city. The dungeons are here. And sometimes they even sit down next to us. All of these things, from tense cities to abuse, things you and I find difficult to comprehend or hold for very long in our minds, are endured by human beings one at a time. They result in traumatized human beings. That means that they live with recurrent, tormenting memories of atrocities witnessed or born. Memories that infect their sleep with horrific nightmares, destroy their relationships, their capacity to work or to study, torment their emotions, shatter their faith, and mutilate their hope. Trauma is extraordinary, you see, not because it rarely happens, but because it completely swallows and destroys Normal human ways of coping and living. The dungeons of this world are filled with traumatized people. And as it was in Cape Coast Castle, the usual response to atrocity is to try and remove it from the mind. Those who've been traumatized want to flee the memory of its occurrence. And we who listen find we want to flee also. We find it too terrible to remember and too incomprehensible to put into words. That is why we use the phrase unspeakable atrocities. The great tension is the futile attempt to forget the unspeakable, even while it continues in the mind, sometimes screaming. That push-pull between the need to forget and the need to speak is the central dialectic of trauma. And the tension is not only experienced by individuals, or families, but by institutions and, yes, even nations. It is not only experienced by the traumatized, it is experienced by those of us who bear witness to trauma. I know something of this tension because as a psychologist, I have worked now not 35, but 38 years with things like sexual abuse and rape and domestic violence and combat trauma and genocide and sex trafficking. I have looked into traumatized eyes all over this globe as I have traveled. And I've seen the push-pull in my clients who were too terrified to remember and speak, but who cannot forget. And I have witnessed families and churches and, yes, nations deny the existence of evil and trauma in their worlds. And I know the tension exists in those who bear witness because it resides in me. You know, we see an atrocity on the television or in the, on the internet, and soon after, we, we look for a way to remove ourselves. The stories threaten our comfort, our position, our systems. The stories are vile and messy and disruptive, and traumatized people need attention and assistance often for a very long time. The trauma stories of our own families or institutions and organizations get buried and geographical distance and the push of a button enable us to do the same with entire nations. Just ask Rwanda. We are, in fact, quite like the chapel goers in the fort in Ghana. So what are we to do? Choose complicity by turning away in silence or flit from cause to cause, trying to do something which is sometimes about making ourselves feel better, isn't it? Or feeding some voyeuristic need. Or render judgment and categorize the traumatized as they. You know, if they were more responsible or made better moral choices, they would not be suffering. 
Under the form of worship in that chapel in Ghana lay the darkness and oppression and tyranny of slavery. All things that blight and destroy human beings created in the image of God. But I think that you know that Christianity does not look like being folded up with evil and sitting on top of dungeons. I think you know that following Christ does not look like complicity with a system that butters our breads and fills our coffers while we stand on the back of those created in the image of God. It does not look like praying and singing and giving money on top of screams and unspeakable suffering and filth and death. Christianity is not about calling others them, somehow unlike us, not human. When we were in the dungeon, our guide pointed to the chapel above and he said this, heaven above, hell below. But I would argue this morning that heaven was not above because that is not what heaven does. What does heaven do? Heaven leaves heaven. Heaven leaves its place and space of comfort and songs and purity and plenty, and heaven comes down. If the people of that chapel had truly worshipped the God of the scriptures, they would have been in the dungeon, in the filth and the darkness and the trauma, and they would have entered in so that they might bring out. Acts 17, 6 says, these men have turned the world upside down. The church goes into the dungeon. Why? So the dungeon becomes the church. God came down to lift up. He became like us so we might become like him. And he came to this dung-filled dungeon you and I call earth. And he sat with us and he touched us and he loved us and he brought us to himself. And he enters the dungeons of our hearts and transforms them. He did not treat us as them, but became one of us so that we might be his God is power becoming little and coming down to embrace what is alien. There is no them. There is only us. We were the slaves in the dungeon. And he did not take us out so we can stand on the necks of the oppressed and worship him for not leaving us back there with them. He's called us as his body to follow his head to go back into the plague-infested dung heap so that other slaves might find freedom and go back with us and find yet more. When our God interfaces with this world, he leaves the higher and he descends. He leaves beauty and enters chaos. He leaves pure and becomes filthy. And he demonstrates that our God does not just speak with words. He also acts first in the heart dungeons of human beings so that they can then, through their lives, lead others out of dungeons. Jesus demonstrated in the flesh the character of God. We are his body. We are to do the same. When God's people worship over and separate and untouched by the trauma of this world, they are not worshiping the God of the scriptures Because there is nothing in the scriptures to suggest that being complicit or neutral or uncaring to the cries of traumatized human beings is godly. The scriptures do say that the dungeons of Cape Coast Castle existed below because they were first in the hearts of the so-called worshipers. Sadly, the body of Christ has often failed to see trauma as a place of service. 
But, you know, if we survey just the natural disasters of our times, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, the tsunamis, and combine that number with the victims of human atrocities in our inner cities, our wars, our genocides, our trafficking, our rapes, our child abuse, the number is staggering. And I think that if we as the body of Christ look out on suffering humanity, we would realize that trauma is perhaps the greatest mission field of the 21st century. The people of God have sometimes hidden in their chapels. We worship and sing and give money and periodically, you know, we stick our heads out to tell other people what they're doing wrong. We've often blamed those who suffer for their trauma, and we have often, as Christians, failed to recognize that systems can be corrupt and power abused, even our power, and that like our Lord, there are many people in this world who suffer from totally undeserved injustice and trauma. We have not gone to the dungeons and have sadly been blind to the fact that that is simply an exposure of the dungeon that is in our heart. For it is a heart that is not like God's when we refuse to go, he who bore the anguish of this world in order to make all things new. Many of us, many of you in this room, see, and you want to enter in, and I am glad. Thank you. You are in places of power and influence. Some of you are in the alleys and the brothels. You don't want to hide in the chapel, and that's good, and it pleases the heart of our God. But listen, do not be seduced. The chapel is not a place. It is a person. It is a head with a body. And as in the physical realm, if the body does not follow its head, it is a very sick body indeed. But it is also true that the dungeon is not a place. It's the human heart. Because, of course, there is no corporate greed without humans, is there? There is no rape or abuse without human beings. And there are no corrupt systems without humans to protect them and lie about them. Our first call, my friends, is not to places, be they chapels or dungeons. Our first call is to person, to love and obedience to Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, and to hearts that will tolerate no dungeon corner to exist out of his light, whether it is here or there. Many have thought, you know, if you avoid the dungeons of the world, that's how you stay clean. (laughs) But to do so is to fail to follow our Savior who went to the dung heaps of this world. Many of you go, go. But remember this, the dungeon is first in us. That is what has created all the dungeons out there. We must not fool ourselves into thinking we follow our Savior where others have failed to do so, all the while hiding dungeons in our own souls, whether it be pride or pornography. One last look with me at this world that our God so loves. Stand and look and listen to the story of Cape Coast Castle and see the trauma of this world as one of the primary mission fields of the century in which we stand. 
it is one of the supreme opportunities before the church today. Our head left glory and came down to this traumatized world and became flesh like us. He literally got in our skin. He did not numb. He did not flee the atrocities of this world. The question before the house this morning is, will we, his body, also leave our heavens and our chapels and enter the trauma of terrified and shattered humanity, whether they sit in our pews or are across the ocean in the name of Jesus? We are complicit with the perpetrators if we refuse to go. We are also complicit if we go ignoring the refuse in our own hearts. If the church does not enter into trauma, then I would ask you, is she really then living as the body of an incarnated God? I pray we will follow our head full of the lights and life of Jesus Christ to the corners first of our own hearts so that we might bring him into the trauma dungeons and turn this world upside down, which, as you all already know, means actually turning it right side up. Again, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, and that talk there from about 10 years ago from Christian psychologist and trauma and abuse expert Diane Langberg. It's called Trauma as a Place of Service, and we thought this talk, obviously very compelling, takes us to a deeper place, Gabe, to even how God might use trauma as part of helping people come to know him. I love this quote by her. She said, when God's people worship in separate and untouched by the trauma of this world, they're not worshiping the God of the scriptures because there is nothing in the scriptures to suggest that being complicit or neutral or uncaring to the cries of the traumatized human beings is godly. So we are called into this space. There's no denying it. And I think her point that this could be the greatest mission field is one all of us as leaders should take account of. And to consider what does that mean for us with the spaces we're in, the places you've been called to lead, what would it look like for you to create space where trauma could be dealt with? And so as you head into this week with the traumas of the week, future traumas that might unfold, let's think about how God might be at work even in that and how we each have a role to play. Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.